sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Good afternoon, everybody. Eric Franson with you. Andre Salvas in tow as well. Talking about what's going on in sports today. And, uh, you know, a couple different things we want to get into. Utah Jazz cleaned out the lockers, had kind of their post, uh, post-season, post end-of-day uh, interviews uh, as uh, they were leaving the building. Uh, what did they have to say as an organization about where their future may hold, uh, what, what their future may hold, what their uh, uh, plans are for the future, uh, what kind of this direction they may want to go here in the offseason. Uh, their NBA has given some direction about uh, some things that may be coming up in the offseason regarding uh, when will the draft take place and things like that. When could training camps begin? So there's supposed to be some details about that coming out from the NBA here soon. Uh, but there's also some, you know, as uh, other teams are uh, now done with their seasons and some done with their post-seasons, Kind of makes you think about uh, some of the other things that may be going on. But uh, uh, especially when you consider what's going on with uh, Milwaukee, it's moves that they may be making, Oklahoma City. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they're letting go of their head coach. So interesting to see what may take place throughout the NBA uh, and uh, who, who replaces some of these people. But, Ajay, kind of an interesting day in the NBA where uh, news that Billy Donovan is out at Oklahoma City. Uh, the uh, the Pacers in Indiana, they're looking at a wide variety of people uh, to be their next head coach, including Becky Hammond, who has been an assistant with San Antonio for several years. Uh, and it's quite possible we could see the first female head coach in the NBA. So a lot of interesting things could be taking place in this offseason. Uh, and to Milwaukee, what did they do after another early exit in the playoffs after having a great regular season. Um, just That's a franchise that just doesn't seem to know how to make adjustments in the playoffs. Yeah, I, this could be one of the more unique free agencies that we've ever had, uh, aside from the obvious reasons that, um, as many have heard today, the, the NBA free agency will be pushed back to like late November, end of November. The draft is being pushed back to middle uh, November, middle-ish of November. Uh, and so with all that, I mean, plenty of time for players to make decisions and such. But also, Giannis said in his exit interview that, hey, I want to see Milwaukee be built for years. I want to see, you know, uh, the team be built as a championship squad. I don't know how much more help you could have asked for. Like Chris Middleton's pretty dang good. Eric Bledsoe's a great point guard. He had good outside shooters from Connaughton, Corver. Uh, you had a good big man in Brick Lopez, who was a great perimeter shooter. You had about everything you could ask for, including depth. And you still got the gentleman's sweep versus Milwaukee, or not Milwaukee, versus Miami. There's only so much you can do uh, to build your team. And so... I know people in Milwaukee are saying, well, Giannis said he's going to stay and he's not going to go anywhere and he wants to stay in Milwaukee. That's good and all, but his mind's going to change probably next year when he sees the NBA continue to be built. Like, every player's 
comments, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, uh, so on and so forth, have all said, you know what? I love where I play. They're saying the right things, right? That's that's the PR political move. You say the right things so you don't uh, break the bridge or burn the bridge too early. Giannis is <laughs> a very sexy, tradable pick, or excuse me, tradable player. And there's a bunch of picks around to be able to move to get Giannis. That is attractive enough to say, hey, we're at least going to think about it. You'd be, you're not doing your job if you're not thinking about it. That's what Dennis Lindsay said three years ago. He said, if we're not looking, and he didn't mention specific players, nor will he ever do that. But he always, one of the comments he'd always go to is, if we're not looking, we're not doing our job. And that, I think that's in the case of Milwaukee as well. You have to listen. You do. You have to listen to what is being offered out there because if something is enticing enough for it to say, you know what, we still fear that Giannis is going to leave, and you should. No way should you not think, well, he's going to stay. He's going to be with us forever. IG, see Gordon Hayward, see uh, Kevin Durant, see James Harden. I mean, just the list goes on, right? And so you can never just play on someone uh, or superstar to stay there because the way the NBA is now, that's just not feasible. And I think that's where the case is now that if you're Milwaukee, you're listening to every offer and there will be an offer from at least 31 NBA teams that will, you know, some will be attractive, some will be boring, but you've got to hear them. And I think there will be plenty of sexy offers for Giannis. Rudy Gobert involved. The Jazz want to try to get him? Man, Dennis Lindsay was really coy. In fact, I just got done listening to his exit interview. We'll actually play some of it. It's it's way long, but I think the first 25 minutes of it is really spicy. Uh, you know, at first I said no. I mean, excuse me. At first I said yes, Rudy Gobert is tradable. He is definitely movable. Um, <laughs> yeah, I might be backpedaling pretty crazy right now. Uh, if the bike will allow me to, because I don't, I'm not so confident as I much, I mean, I still think it's a possibility, but not as much as, a, and I'm not as near as confident as I was, say, a week ago, two weeks ago. Just listening to Dennis Lindsay today uh, and Justin Zanuck, not as near as confident. Confident about what? Rudy Gobert being traded. Oh, you think they're going to stick with him? Uh, yeah. Based on how they're how they're talking, just how they're talking. I mean, they don't come out right. They don't come out and say, "Yeah, Rudy Gobert's on the trade block." Like I said, Dennis Lindsay is so dang good about answering questions without answering them, but giving you little tidbits, just small things to chew on, to put in, you know, to to, to bring onto your radio show or to put into your article. And um, I think that was the case today. I, again, you have to read between the lines with Dennis Lindsay. He's really, really good about not throwing the whole entire pie out there, but just sending out bits for you to, to munch on and, and to taste. And I think that was, again, that was the case today. Interesting piece in The Athletic today by John Hollinger. Uh, he looks at the teams that have been eliminated from the playoffs and uh, you know, where do they go from here? What do they do next? And uh, one of those sections dedicated in his article is about the Utah Jazz. And um really says, you know, the it's about – I don't know, five, six paragraphs down, says the other issue nobody's talking about is Rudy Gobert's future. Uh, he talks about how, you know, it, like a lot of teams try to do, it's a small market all-star entering a final year of the contract. So what does the team do? Do they sign an extension? Do they play it out to see what things, how things look like, how he plays out, what the market looks like? 
It's always tenuous. Um, could be a, another Gordon Hayward situation. Now, uh, he is eligible for the Super Max. Now, that could be a five-year extension worth in the neighborhood of $200 million. Yeah, you're looking at about 221 and not a penny more than 221 but 221 million. There's also what the there's the there's the four levels I think or three levels below that. There's 189, the 140 and 133 if I'm not mistaken. Well, the regular max is uh it's quote unquote regular max would be 4 years and that's 147 million. So the 5 year would still be 189. So 189 still in that 5 year level then. Wow. See that's you know, I kind of bashed on you for for saying you should be paid. You know, he should be getting that much. But Eric, five years, one hundred eighty nine million for a guy who's been an all all NBA defensive player for the last three years. Pretty dang good. That's that's uh, you're not breaking the bank doing it. Well, here's here's the issue, and Hollinger points these these points out, which I've been making as well, and he adds a few to it. That, um, and I don't know. I have to maybe we can disagree on some of his his points but he says that the center position is the league's most replaceable position I don't know if I totally agree with that but uh, I think there are a lot of guys out there as a starter there aren't very many quality centers out there that are routinely on all NBA teams I think that's that's a, a point of, of differentiation yeah I think we've had that discussion and argument a few times haven't we you yeah. and I <laughs> but he, his argument, too, he goes further. He says, Rudy Gobert isn't a, isn't a top 10 player in the league. Okay, that's bull. So why do you give him a super max deal if he's not a top 10 player in the league? <laughs> oh, and he man. has no perimeter skill. Because there's centers in the league who can be rim protectors but can also draw out their defender and have the threat of hitting the three-point okay, shot. Okay, so let's, let's, let's hash through this list then. You and I together. Give me a center who can guard the rim and yet play perimeter offense at a consistent level. Anthony Davis. That's one. I'll agree with that one. Kristaps uh, Porzingis. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, I mean, the defense. I mean, uh, perimeter offense, absolutely. Defense of the rim, I'm not. I'm not so sure about the Lithuanian center at uh, Memphis, who used to be at Toronto. That's not Valanciunas, is it? Yeah, Valanciunas. Uh, he's not a perimeter offensive guy. He can hit a three. Uh, I, I'm asking consistent though. Okay, about Sabonis, who's at, yes, uh, Indiana. Yep, I'll I'll put Sabonis on that about list. Mark Gasol. No. Ah, sorry. Yes. Uh, and Giannis, right? So I got four. How about Cat, Carl Anthony Towns? Oh, dude, when he's interested, he's really good. Uh, how about Nikola Jokic? Yes, on him. No on Cat. Why? Yeah, because there's not, dude. There's, and do you know what? Honestly, there's no consistency to his defensive game either. I mean, like, there's, I mean, there's games where he shows up and he actually looks interested because the game's on ESPN in front of the whole entire NBA world, and he's looking for that really big contract. Then he goes and balls out. But then there's games where it's on the the, the Minnesota Timberwolf channel, and they're playing Washington Wizards on an 8:30 game, and he just doesn't even give a crap. Like, and I've seen you've seen the very worst of 
cat, and you've seen the very best of him as well. Yes. No, I can agree with that. His consistency is his biggest problem. But I'll definitely put Jokic is a good one. Okay. Okay, How about Joel Embiid? Yes. Yep, absolutely. He's gotten so much better with his offensive game. If you would have asked me a year ago, I would have said, heavens no. Definitely now. Yeah. Ooh, man, he's bigger okay, than I thought. Brooke Lopez. Yes. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, it's a pretty long list, yeah, Ajay. I'm sitting there I mean, it keeps going. <laughs> the more I think about it, the more guys I think of. Uh, yeah, okay, true. Uh, but how many of those have been I – mean, I mean, we're talking about a two-time back-to-back defensive player of the year and a three-time back-to-back-to-back all-NBA defensive squad player. True. First yes. team. Yeah. And, like and, – and by the way – and you, all this, all the big men you listed are incredibly good. Only two of those guys, along with Rudy Gobert, can recover and actually help out when a perimeter guard gets beaten off the dribble and that and they get to the rim. Only three guys can recover and get to that rim before the guard does to block a shot. Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert. Oh man, and I honestly, I'd say Jewel Embiid. I think Embiid's incredible at that. And it's more because he has such a great stride and he's so athletic. But those are the only three guys who can actually pick up the trash when their guards are just getting cooked on the perimeter. And I think that means a lot to a defensive team. Because, you know, and, and we know this, and you'll hear Dennis Lindsay today too, he wants to be a defensive, and they have been for how many, what, since Quinn Snyder's been there, a defensive-minded team. Um, and that's what the Jazz want to build around is that, look, offensively, sure, we can score, but if we can win a game like they did or, uh, like what the 80 to 78 game was probably a thing to a distinct was a thing of beauty because it was just a defensive minded game. But then I also think that there was fatigue, serious fatigue on both sides. But, um, I think you now go look for that as you call it a three and D guy. Someone who, because like Donovan can man up and D up somebody. Uh, Joe could. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while, though. Um, but, I mean, besides Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, you need someone who's going to really, and, by, and Bojan Bogdanovic, I think, can really play good defense as well. But you need a straight yeah, but up that's not 3D his guy. Forte. That's not no, his forte. oh, that's not what he was brought to the team for either. No, he was brought to the team to score. Right, that's he was one of the to very the team few guys that was brought for the offensive side. Jordan Clarkson, Donovan Mitchell, or two others, but everyone else is is expected that when they're on the court, every minute is dedicated to defensive stops. And then you got three guys who can score. Mike Conley, I think you could put on that list as well. Um, of of even a defensive guy, I thought his defense was really good in the bubble. From in my opinion, I don't know if that's fact or not, but that's just my gospel according to AJ. <laughs> but again, yeah. that, but man, you list off a bunch of big men, and I just like holy crap, <laughs> he's not the lone guy. And and I, I think out of all those guys you mentioned, who's the worst perimeter guy? Out of all those guys that we've mentioned, including Rudy Gobert on the list, who's the worst offensive perimeter guy out of that list? Oh, Rudy Gobert. Amen. That's the biggest <laughs> it's problem. Not even close. Yeah. That's the like when I'm sitting there going through the list, I'm like, yeah, and B would beat him on the perimeter. If they had like a shootout, right? Just playing like a game of of two ball or horse and all the shots were around the perimeter, Rudy would take dead last. I can't think of one of those guys that would actually lose to Rudy. That's not good. No, and I think that's the that's the the, 
the question that's facing this Utah Jazz franchise. And I'm not saying that every center needs to do that. Yeah, there's a lot of them who do, and there's great advantage when your guy can do that. Um, the, the Jazz have said, we, we want a guy that's going to be a rim protector. He has developed more of an offensive skill set around the rim, whereas before he maybe would get 8 to 10 points a game off of putbacks. Now there are uh, designed offensive sets to get him going, and he can put up 20 points a night. It's possible. It's not as consistent, but it's possible. And But I, I think that uh, now I've been to jazz games, shown up early to watch players shoot around, and part of Rudy's routine is to go out on the three-point line at the end and put up a bunch of three-point shots. We've never seen him attempt one of those shots in a game. Yeah. But I can tell you from what I've seen and a few times that I've been to games early enough to watch it in person, he is working on that. Is that the evolution of Rudy Gobert next season in the offseason, that he becomes that center that can have a perimeter game? I don't know. What if, and this is a big if, we talk about Derek Favors having, I mean, now being one of those guys who could have an opportunity to come back to Utah with, I mean, that, that $3 million, give or take, veteran minimum with the 10-plus years experience. he get paid, come back to Utah where he was comfortable under Snyder. Snyder knows him. Snyder loves him. He's a good, he's a good perimeter shooter. He got a lot better in 15-16 as a perimeter shooter and a big man. I, I don't know that I call him a good perimeter shooter, but okay. that's something that he has been working on. The Jazz really wanted him to be a stretch. Would you four. say improved? Improved, yes. As in, you never took a shot, then you took a few shots. Yeah, you took from, a few more shots. But, but I, th- I mean, he did a lot of that towards the latter of the uh, of his final or second to last season. Excuse me, when he was playing in that playoffs versus the Clippers, you saw him stretch himself out a little bit more and keep Griffin honest, Blake Griffin honest. Um, and you saw him do it the following series as well. Yeah, I, I felt like it was kind of a. Uh, a forced thing for him to try to, to Yeah, and I think develop. that might have came from Snyder, Lindsay, and that crew, too, to, to get yeah. better at that. And they tried to force that issue because it didn't seem real natural. It didn't seem like he was real comfortable out there, but I know he was working on it. Do you think that they're trying to do this? And so I asked that question with that response from you. Are they trying to do the same thing with Rudy? To make him, not to ask him, but to make him be a more perimeter player offensively. You know, I, I would think that by now, if they were trying to force him that way, we'd see those plays drawn up by Yeah, now. we haven't, yeah. I mean, as long Nothing's as he's been in Utah Jazz, that, we've never seen him take yeah. a three-point yeah. shot. At Probably least not will. intentionally as part of an offensive set. So I, I think that if it's it's going to happen, that's something where he's going to say, yes, I'm I'm ready. Let's do it. I've been working on it. I can make it work for you. So, I don't know. Is that the evolution that Rudy needs to do in order to be, you know, justified in that kind of a max contract? Probably. I think he would need to illustrate that not only is he a tremendous defender and rim protector and the heart of the defense, but he's also somebody that's going to be a part of the offense moving forward and can be a threat at at multiple positions on the floor, not just within two feet of the rim. The other thing I worry about is uh, is depth. Like, and, and we've talked about it a lot. Um, but the depth killed Utah so many times in games. You see the starters go out there and and, and uh, build a 
15, 16 point lead. And you see the bench come in there and blow that 15, 16 point lead in just as quick and then be down by six or seven. And that's exhausting for a starting lineup to have to deal with. To, to go and build a lead, then lose the lead, have to come back and get back that lead. Uh, the Jazz need some depth and quality depth too. Uh, they need they well, need some other position where they're gonna they're gonna get good quality minutes out of their bench. Well, look what they did this last this last year. We thought, hey, this team they've got firepower offensively. Mm-hmm. They've got depth on the bench, mm-hmm. and it, it didn't work. No, Jeff Green didn't work. Ed Davis didn't work. So I mean, there were some things that they could have that we thought were moving in the right direction. We we drank the Kool-Aid. We were excited about it. Emmanuel Moutier didn't work. So they they were making moves to shore up the bench, and it just didn't stick. Yeah, which is a big problem. I, Was it just poor talent evaluation? No, no. Or just no, a perfect they, storm of things that just didn't come together? There you go. I, I, think, that were, I think that's fair. I mean, you look at like – because even um, for a stretch, Mike Connolly was not working. No, either. well, and Jeff Green never worked out. But then he goes, "Where's he at now? Houston." It's at Houston, and he's, he's killing it. He's playing very. He's well He's wonderful. Them. You know what? Ed Davis might go somewhere else, and he's going to be really good. Enos Cantor wasn't great at Utah. Trey Burke wasn't good at all at Utah. Dante Exum never found his mojo at Utah. All of them have left, and all of them have been wonderful since. And so sometimes it does. And look, that's going to happen, right? When you or in the NBA as long as you are, and you draft as many guys as you do, you're going to have those who are a bust or just don't fit right. That's just, it's part of the process. Um, and few have, sure. Gordon Hayward, I thought fit great. Um, trying to think of other guys who have left, and I thought Raul Nettle fit good. I thought Kyle Corver was an incredible fit on and in a trade, getting him here, who I thought was wonderful. Yeah. So there's been guys with fits, but then there's also been a few that would you'd probably think, man, if we could have that back. The thing that scares me the most, Eric, is Trey Burke was what pick in the draft. She was like number three. What pick was Dante Exum in the draft? He was he was a top five pick. Enos Cantor. Uh, I don't remember where they picked Cantor. I think he was up there. From I don't think he was a top ten. I think top he was in the 10, first round. Maybe? Yeah. I've, if I'm not mistaken, he's in the top ten or in that range. Uh, I know this is a this is a bad example here, and so forgive me. Um, the Harris guy from the New Jersey Nets who came along with favors when we traded Darren Williams. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, but all those guys I mentioned before Harris were all top picks who are no longer with the team because they didn't work. They just never fit. So is that more a reflection on Dennis Lindsay, the front office? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's hard to criticize okay, so because look what, what they did with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, okay, okay. so you know what? You're right. You're absolutely right. How do you find a guy like Donovan Mitchell and you work him out in a gym and you, and you say, you know what? That's our guy. That's the guy we need. And you trade up to the 16th pick to snag him. How do you find a guy like Rudy Gobert so late in the draft, 27th pick, not since so late, sorry, but 27th in the first round, and you take him. But you can't with the third pick, the ninth pick, the fifth pick. How do you screw that up so badly that you can't find a quality player in that position? Well, Exum was looking like he was going to be that guy, and then he just had injuries. Yeah. I mean, that's unforeseen. Uh, he looked like he was going to be a different But maker. even when he was healthy, I, and, and again, maybe this was a really extremely short leash that Quinn Snyder put on him. 
Because Tyrone, because was Tyrone Corbin coaching when they got Exum, or was he a year? Do you uh, know? I think he was. Okay, I was gonna say I think he he was his final like half a year or whatever it was that he was coaching. I think that's when they grabbed Exum, and Corbin loved him. Snyder came in and was like, "No, this this isn't gonna work." Even when he was healthy, Snyder had a really short leash on him. Or did he come in with early Snyder? Snyder's been with the Jazz for what six years, seven years? Six now. Fourteen. Exum hasn't been in the league that long. Fourteen. Now I mean I have to go do some research now, but it just some of those guys just don't work out. And and I honestly, when you look at that high of a pick, you've got to look at Lindsey and say, what did you miss? Like how do you miss a guy? I don't know. I don't know what Cantor's draft looked like. I can't remember what Trey Burke's draft looked like. But I think his was pretty saucy as well. That whole the top ten picks were pretty dang good. I mean, but you can find Mitchell underneath a hay stack. You can find Rudy Gobert. Uh, the kid from France, Rudy Gobert, in the first round, in the 27th pick. Yeah, but also keep in mind, Rudy was put in the D-League for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, that G-League ended up benefiting Rudy a lot. And they had him work on, but if I remember right, and I think Snyder said this at the exit interviews, they had Rudy work on specific things. There was just like three or four things they wanted him to specifically work on, and all of them were defensive movement things. Uh, footwork, uh, having hands up, uh, physicality, and I can't remember the fourth one. There was one more there though, and I can't remember what it was. But they all—I mean, that. So he was able to just really worry about his defensive game, and he ended up coming alive, right? When he, you know, got up to the Jazz, was a starting center, and we all know the rest is history. So, but God, I, I, you know, I should do some research. I should look at what Trey Burke's draft looked like. Because Trey Burke, and it's interesting, Eric, when you look at some of these draft picks, some of them were just NCAA tournament Cinderella's. No yeah. one knew who the fetch Trey Burke was until the tournament where he took his team to the national championship. No, And really, not a lot of people knew who Gordon Hayward was until he went on a run in the NCAA tournament and took his team to the championship and lost to Duke, right? Uh, so some of these guys are just NCAA Cinderella's. I think uh, the Edwards kid from Purdue might fit that list when he got drafted pretty early, a lot earlier than people expected. Um, so, yeah, there's the NCAA tournament Cinderella's. I don't know how that fits now because of what COVID has done. Um, but uh, it, it's going to be an interesting look at what the Jazz will do in this offseason. But I would expect them to go look at what you call a 3-and-D guy or maybe even more so in the free agency look for some bench help. Uh, got a text into the program again. You can text in with your questions or comments at 435-339-0321. Uh, this comment coming from 9315. Is this something you could see happen similar to Utah State and Namiish become an outside rim shooter? Outside rim shooter. Uh, I think he means outside. Just a perimeter, perimeter shooter. shooter. Where the NBA is heading that direction. Um, I think that if Namiish can develop that outside shot, his value in the draft will skyrocket. If they know that he can play around the rim, protect the rim, but also have an outside shot, he becomes a high draft choice. I think Miyish's offensive game is really is about as fine-tuned as you could ask for as a guy who's going to be drafted in the NBA. Defensively, I still feel like, I don't know, like defensively you see spurts of Namiya's Keta and you're like, oh my gosh, he's ready. 
And then their spurts, you're like, oh, boy. there's That's not good. Uh, but offensively, yeah, you're right. If he could develop, I, and really, that's what the NBA looks for now, right? In the modern NBA era, if this was 1995, Namish Keta would be an incredibly sexy, valued first-round pick because that's what it was about. Patrick Ewing, Akeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson, those guys were all valued because of their ability to offensively and defensively play close to the rim. None of that outside stuff. Now, yeah. But I don't think Craig Smith is looking to drop any plays for Namish to take a straightaway three <laughs> in, in, in any game, exhibition or non-conference or conference game. I just, no, but if he's got a center that can step out there and draw the, the opposing team center out that has to come and guard him, because he knows he may be able to hit that shot, that opens up a lot of other things on the floor. That creates a lot of amazing spacing offensively if you've got a guy that can do that. Yeah. And, and pulls away your rim protector. All right, we got to take a break. We're overdue for a timeout here on the Full Court Press. When we come back, some of the other updates of the day. We'll be talking some NFL next hour. Ethan Dursteller with the NFL will be joining us. Um, uh, interesting thing I, I found about the home field advantage. Not really a thing anymore in the NFL. Uh, we're not. And it's interesting seeing there's no home court advantage in the NBA. What's happening there? Um, does it really mean anything anymore? Anymore anyway. Uh, but we also want to get into this interesting proposal about the NCAA basketball tournament next spring, led by the ACC, saying let everybody in. Let Let's have a huge bracket Donuts and everybody and play. Squeeze it for everybody after the games. Everyone gets a trophy. Uh, we'll talk about that <laughs> next on the Full Court Press. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric Franson, Ajay Salveson, Full Court Press rolling on. Uh, so, Mike Krzyzewski and other ACC coaches are saying, hey, let's let everybody in. It's an unprecedented time. Let everybody participate. Every Division I school participate in the 2021 NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. Uh, ACC coaches... Of uh, put together this plan, they're sending it on to the uh, NCAA uh, Division One Council. Which, by the way, they're expected to make some pretty big decisions next week uh, about the format for winter sports, which would include men's and women's basketball. Uh, Mountain West issued a statement about that yesterday. But before we get into that. Ajay, this this idea of 357 Division One teams participating in one tournament. You like it? Or is it going to be too complicated? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a tad complicated. You're going to... How many tournament sites are there? Or regions are there, right? In an original format, how many sites are there for the first round? There's, what, four, five, four, six? I don't know. You're going to have to triple that. And so I love what 9315 texted and said. Uh, like, you, 
maybe the higher seed plays at the home court. Maybe you have like various regional sites on both the western and eastern states, and you play at those regional sites. Or so the first two games, like what the NCAA women would do, I guess in their tournament, you play the first game at your home site, your home place, and then the second round is a regional game as well. Then the third expands to California or Arizona or Washington, and then as you get to like the the Elite Eight, Final Four, and the national championship. You meet in the middle somewhere, whether it's Indianapolis, whether it's Louisiana in the uh, in the Dome, or um, something to that effect, or Madison Square Garden. But for three, and by the way, that would eliminate the NIT, then, wouldn't it? It would have to, yeah. So the NIT can't be like, oh yeah, that sounds like a wonderful idea. Let's just take out our tournament. That suck. Uh, but no, it's look, it's fun. I think it's the fact that the ACC actually voted unanimously for it says a whole lot and should probably make people kind of start to wonder if this is, may happen. I just, I don't know how you pull it off. Yeah, it's, again... Unless a, you say every is, conference tournament is part of a, the big tournament. Maybe. And which you, really you kind of is anyway. Yeah, it is, to an extent, because for a lot of those conferences, it's one team's getting in and that's it. Right, those are qualifying tournaments to participate in the 68 team. So are you in the dance, dance. then? Hey, here is the Mount West Conference slash NCAA first round. Like, what the fetch? How are you going to – let's just say Duke's the number one overall team okay. next year. Okay. So, they're a, they're a one seed. Are, are, you, are they going to play a – I haven't done the math uh, – a 50 seed? Some low-level team in the Sun Belt? And then you, you go up against a bunch of really scrub teams for a couple of weeks. You get first round, second round, third round buys. Yeah, I, how well I get, you do. Dude, like 300 teams in the NCAA tournament is just bonkers. But you might have to include the conference tournament with that. But I read a tweet. Uh, I, want, I want to say it was from John Rothstein. <laughs> that uh, he spoke to ADs and coaches, various, you know, coaches in the Division One aspect of college basketball and they said the the two words that keep coming out consistently is I'll I'll edit this but crap show like they keep hearing different things uh about the tournament or about when they're going to start or conference games or non-conference games or this or that or the other there's still a lot of questions that haven't been answered and the biggest thing for me is uh and so we're talking about the tournament definitely they need to quit worrying about the tournament and start worrying about what the schedule's going to look like yeah, in let's November, start a, let's January. Yeah, let's about start of play. Like, we got to make sure that we're going to even have a season, or if, are you going to have fans? Are you not going to have fans? Will the Spectrum have fans when BYU comes to this house? If they, if they get BYU, or are they going to start late? And we're supposed to find out seven days from today, by next week, this today's Wednesday, by next Wednesday, we will know what the schedule format will look like for NCAA basketball. Some say November, they some say December, some said of January. Like it is all over the place right now on what it, what it, what it could happen. So this Division 1 NCAA Division 1 Council, they meet on September 16th as we've said. Uh they're not only going to talk about men's and women's basketball, but they'll also talk about rescheduled fall sports, including football. Um winter sports, spring sports, all that's going to be discussed. Um, see if they could all run concurrently during the, the kind of the winter and spring. So imagine this, Eric. 
it's Saturday morning. You get up and you want to go to a game. You want to go support the Aggies. But you're like, wait, should I go to the volleyball game that's at 9 a.m.? Should I go to the football game, which is at 12 p.m.? Or should I go to the basketball game, which is at 6 p.m.? That's going to be uh, – and the other thing with that is – You'd also have soccer going on. Yeah, soccer. And softball. Well, and, and softball will probably be out, outside of the state of Utah. Like, there is no way they're going to be able to put a game in February. Well, no, that's true. And and say, let's do this. There, it's just not happening. But football – and then so the other thing is, is for fans, what do they want to do? Like, if they have – if they're well, not assuming you have holder, a choice. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you do have a choice, right, and football does start uh, and basketball's already in it, do you say, and you're not a season ticket holder for either sport, do you go to the football game or do you go to the basketball game? Where are you going to spend your money? Is it based on who they play, what the opponent is? What uh, the weather's like that day. Or what the weather's like that day. Because in the middle of February, I can tell you right now, it's going to be cold. And there might be a chance of snow. Uh, but, may, but Eric, maybe the Utah State Aggie football team is in the hunt for a Mount West Conference championship appearance. And it's a big game versus uh, uh, Wyoming or whoever. And, uh, and it's going to be on national television. You want to see that game. You want to be there for that. You want to see the Aggies compete for a Mount West Conference championship spot. But then that night, it's Utah State versus San Diego State at the Spectrum. I mean, it just it really depends, and it's it's going to put some fans in a tough position of of to choose where they want to go to the game. But that's also a good problem to have, isn't it? Like when you have to choose which game you want to go to on a Saturday. Yeah, it'll absolutely affect attendance. And maybe sure. volleyball is competing for something cool too. I didn't want to leave volleyball out. I felt kind of bad. I brought them up, and I didn't even mention them. <laughs> well. Yeah, we're going to learn a lot more after next week. Do you? But, but it, for this idea of 357 teams, oh I just my don't, gosh, it, I just don't see it. So many One, logistics. Your conferences with their own conference tournaments make money, and that's yeah. a it's an important money maker for the conference itself. So to take that away, uh, or to fold it into something else, it's it gets really complicated. Uh, the timing of it. What does your bracket look like? You have to fold it out, <laughs> spread it across your desk. And you know what? You know what's going to happen? Some no-name idiot who doesn't even watch any of the games, who picks them by the colors or by the favorite animal or logo, is going to have a perfect bracket. <laughs> and he's going to be from Harvard. That's going to annoy me. Uh, 9315, text in. They better not throw the ball like they did in football. Or you might have riots on your hand. Basketball will play. Know that. Basketball is going to play. It's a lot easier. There's fewer people involved. Now, uh, and it's there's now, more lead up. There's more ramp up. Playing with fans is a whole different topic. Like that's yeah. don't expect to have ten thousand two hundred screaming Aggie maniacs there to watch BYU and Utah State. That's just it's not going to happen. Basketball happened, but the whole fan and the the home and court advantage is. It won't won't be there like it used to. No, it'll be diminished. A lot. Yeah, diminished is an understatement. All right, going to take a step aside here in the Full Court Press. Um, we'll 
I'm trying to hear from Dennis Lindsay and yeah, it's a Justin long Zan. audio, and that's my fault. I We're, just kind of kept rolling on it and then cut some things up. But uh, we'll at least give you the opening statement, which is about four minutes long. But then there's a couple questions after, and uh, including, including Tony Jones, and and uh, he has some uh, good feedback. Does Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck as they're together about what they're looking for this offseason in regards of what talent and player wise? Stick around. The Aggies, Jazz, High Schools, even the Pee Wee's T-Ball team. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, The Fan. Eric Franson, Ajay Salveson. Dude, it was like 40 minutes long, and I was trying to carve through stuff and, like, let it run, and I was trying to listen, and I... <laughs> So much damn stuff on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the first question after the four-minute opening statement. Well, opening statement was like, like eight, eight minutes. minutes long. See, and if, I thought it was four minutes. <laughs> it went by fast. So let's get right to it, actually, just to make sure we have some time here. This is a question posed by Tony Jones. Uh, and his question is really about what are they looking for mm-hmm. in the offseason. So here's uh, we'll hear Tony's question and Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck in their response. Yeah, I just have uh, questions for, for Dennis and Justin. Um, I guess this is a a simple question and a loaded one at the same time, but how do you guys go from being a really good, being a good team to, to being a great team? How do you make that uh, leap uh, into being a, a bona fide contender? I'm very disappointed, Tony, that you would ask a loaded question, by the way. Bill uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, this league is, is not uh, an easy league. Um, it's, uh, the world's best coaches and, and players and everybody is uh, reaching for the same prize to, to be the last team standing. And it's interesting. Our team this year wasn't as good uh, from a point differential standpoint um, as, for example, the previous two teams. Uh, with that said, I think the additions that we had, the experience, the shooting, we were better at closing games. And uh, offense sometimes reflects a little bit more and, and can be a little bit more stable uh, in the playoffs. We were hoping that that could be true. And, you know, you, you go and you finish a series, and Denver won those series. And, and, and again, they showed remarkable poise. I, I do think the one thing that we were, we were missing is Boyan's ability to score uh, from over the top of the defense in a simple and a very efficient way. And, and you guys can point out the games clearly um, here versus Milwaukee early, Houston, um, uh, obviously at their place, but many other big shots late. So I think we would have had a another person to help us close those close games. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, frankly, we've got to look at every opportunity, Tony, uh, to move the group forward. Uh, we were, if not the best shooting team in the league uh, this year, uh, we were one of the two or three best. And obviously that was a stated goal. You guys remember snipers at any position. Uh, we did, we lost some uh, defensive integrity, uh, some activity, some deflections, blocked steals, if you will, uh, with uh, last year's roster and compared to this year. So uh, it's an adjustment and we'll see. Uh, but anybody who can obviously uh, have defensive integrity uh, at their position can be an active athletic defender. 
um, you know, will be someone that would be of interest to us, especially if they don't compromise the spacing. We have a few young guys uh, that meet some of those requirements. We'll see how they come back um, once they uh, get away and again, hopefully improve and reflect. Um, had a very successful G League season. And so we think a lot of, a lot of those guys can provide some internal solutions. And as always, you know, there will be external options as well uh, for improvement and we'll exhaust, you know, all of those possibilities. I don't have much to add. I think Dennis encapsulated perfectly. I think the only thing that I would emphasize is that going from good to great is really hard. And there's a lot of, as Dennis said, a lot of other teams that are trying to do the same thing. Um, we, we just can commit to our fans and, and to our, our groups that support us that we will stop at nothing to try and reach that goal and do that in the best interest of the jazz, the fans, the organization, and the Millers. They've given us great resources uh, at all times to be able to, to do that. And, you know, there's some unique times this year as you can go back and again, not as an excuse, but such a unique and unprecedented year um, that you have to have some good fortune on your side as well. Uh, whether it be injuries or or schedule or, or how things work. And uh, we learned a lot about the team and I think that'll help us and inform us going forward of what we need to do to look everywhere to, to keep trying to improve. Okay. Okay. Dude, I don't know who that PR lady is, but she sucks. Oh, come on now. She's I'm serious. She's like, uh, okay, well, uh, okay. Well, interesting comment there from Dennis Lindsay that stood out to me really about, you know, how or what do the Jazz need to do to move forward to take themselves to the next level and be a, really a title contender? Which is a good question because they were supposed to be there this year. Right. right. With all the offseason moves and acquisitions that they did, they were positioning themselves to be a top-tier team in the West. And uh, one of the things that he really stood out to me was what he said, we're looking for somebody with defensive integrity an active athletic defender. And then he followed that up by saying, we have some young guys who we think could do that, but we'll have to see how they develop. And just has me kind of scratching my head. Like who, who besides Royce O'Neal is that? Who is a, an, an active athletic defender that they don't they have currently one. Have that's going to take that next level. They don't have one. So unless you think that it's me, Oni. Uh, if it's Brantley, that's asking a lot. They're going to need to make large leaps in the off season if they're going to play significant rotation minutes yeah. and play that kind of a role. Yeah, I, I I'm telling you, free agency. I think they go grab somebody. I think they let go of some of the the luggage that they have and and go look for something a little bit brighter and shinier and it helps them more on that regard. Uh, I just don't see anybody on the roster that <laughs> that can actually be athletic besides Royce O'Neal. They can actually be consistently athletic on defensive end and, and uh, yet score on the offensive end. Well, I, I don't, I don't know how much they'll need to score because if you have Boyan and Donovan, yeah, but that's and what Conley, we said at the first of the year, and guess what? We're getting put like 125 points a game put on us <laughs> consistently, and we're like, oh wait, this was supposed to be like the top five defensive squad in the NBA. It wasn't. It was nowhere near that. Yeah. I mean, we're talking bottom half, maybe. And it was on everybody. It was on Rudy, it was on Dom, it was on Joe, it was on everybody. Well, and Dennis admitted, you know, we we 
made some changes in the offseason that that changed our defensive identity. Yeah, it's true. When you think about the it, you let differential go of Jay was worse Crowder this year yeah. compared to the last couple of years. Yeah. And it, it's crazy. Even Grayson Allen helped out, which is yeah, I agree. mind-boggling to me that Grayson Allen actually helped out in his rookie year. But that he really did. So and I we we just need that kind of a guy again. I do anything to get Jay back. I know he was a bad offensive player, but man, defensively, I take him any day at this point. He wasn't a bad offensive player. He, he was uh, inconsistent. He had moments, but man, watching him with Miami, it's like, oh man. Yeah. Remember when well, he was doing those kinds of things for Utah? Everyone's saying the same thing about Jimmy Butler, though, right? Like, you know, Philadelphia. Man, we had that guy. Now he's over there in Miami, and they're going to the Eastern Sh- Conference Finals. Chicago's That's, saying the same thing. Uh, yeah. He was an issue in Chicago, though. He Well, it's true. He was a big problem in Chicago, though. He's, he's mature. Behavior, yeah, definitely. By the way, I know we're up against it, but how about Miami? How about Dude, Eric, Eric Spolstra. Spolstra. It's just, he does this every freaking year, man. He has this, like, oh, hey, it's time to coach. Here we go. Light switch on. All right, team, let's go on another 15-game winning streak. Oh, we're playing the number one team in the league in the playoffs? Nada. I think that series exposed the problem of Budenholzer. Yes. Oh, in yeah. Milwaukee. Because if Spolstra it did made last adjustments. Year, it did this year. Spolstra made adjustments as kind of drastic, and he never figured it out. No. How to get around it. He didn't attempt to, it seemed like. The last, last season was the exact same issue. He never attempted. And people are going to say, well, Giannis was out, this and that and the other. No, it doesn't matter. You still lost the first two games. And you lost game three, even though, I mean, but I don't give me Giannis was out. Just don't. That's not going to well, work. Here's here. the thing Giannis never once this season, and if I'm not mistaken, never once in his career with Budenholzer as his head coach has he played more than 35 minutes in a game. Yeah. Why? Right? In, you're in the playoffs. Your team's on the rope. Yeah. Why is Ride he playing? that pony. I mean, yep. he's the MVP. He's a dominant player. He's a defensive player of the year. Is he the MVP, by the way? Well, he's going to win it. You think he wins it over LeBron? Probably. Because it's a regular season award. Laker fans are going to be PO'd. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> but it was an illustration of a guy who had, you know what, I've got a system that works in the regular season, but when it comes time to making adjustments in the in the playoffs, he got exposed. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. All right, next hour. How's uh, he not got fired yet? <laughs> he may be on the block. Uh, well, let's talk NFL. It's opening season. I'm excited. Starts tomorrow night. Patriots to the Super Bowl. <laughs> we'll find out next. Rise. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. The Milwaukee Bucks put up a good fight, but without Giannis, the Miami Heat overwhelmed them and knocked them out of the Eastern Conference semis. The reigning MVP was out with an ankle injury. And if any Bucks fans had fantasies about him pulling a Willis Reed and limping back to inspire a team, it simply wasn't going to happen. Even with the Greek freak, they weren't coming back from that 3-1 deficit. The Heat are too good. We have no idea if the Greek freak wants to stay in Milwaukee past next season, but we do know exacerbating an injury wasn't going to help the situation. Now the Bucks go back to the drawing board. Building a champion isn't easy. It took Michael Jordan several years. Some great players never won a title, but we're jumping way ahead of ourselves. The Bucks did the right thing on Tuesday. They know how to win in the regular season. Now they have to regroup, improve that roster, and take another shot at helping Giannis take that next step towards winning a ring. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.